You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Good people, gentle folk, gather around, gather around, don't be shy. There's plenty of room right here in front of the stage. Best spot to see what I have to show you. And my lovelies, you are not going to want to miss this. Now, what you see before you is the latest, the greatest in gadgetry and contraptioneering. I ask you, have you ever seen such a thing of beauty? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I present to you the Nervometer! Now, some of you might be asking, just what is a Nervometer? Well, it's simple, see? This Nervometer measures levels of nervousness in any human. Within mere seconds of grasping the ergonomic grip on the Nervometer's handle, I can tell without a doubt if someone is cool as a cucumber, calm as a clam, an agitated alligator, a sweaty Betty, or an earthquaker shaker. But, you know, that one never happens. How about a volunteer or two? I'll do it. Yeah, I'll try to. Fantastic. Now step right up here. Can I get your names? I'm Nairobi. And I'm her sister, Zora. How about that? Siblings! All right, Zora, you first. Hold on to the grip while I start the Nervometer. Just as promised, the answer in seconds. Now, let's take a look. Oh. Oh, my. I, uh... It says you're at Earthquaker Shaker. That is extremely nervous. Okay, well, the Nervometer was acting up a little before I got here. Uh, Why don't you give it a try, Nairobi? Sure. Right, here we go. Your reading is a nice and steady... Wait, this... This says... You're at Earthquaker Shaker level two. The Nervometer is never wrong. It's just that I've never seen such high readings. And two in a row. Whatever could be making you two so nervous? Well, we're about to go through an experiment for Brains On. Yeah, we're giving up our smartphones for a week. (gasps) Two teenagers giving up their phones for a week? (laughs) I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but I just remembered I have another appointment. (laughs) Yep, double booked myself again. I do not want to be around to see how this experiment ends. It sounds dangerous! You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and joining me today are sisters Zora and Nairobi from Columbus, Ohio. Hello! Hi. Hi. Today's episode is going to take a look at smartphones and the screens that seem to be everywhere. It was inspired by this question. Hi, my name is Imogen, and I would like to know why smartphones are so addicting. As usual, an excellent question. Well, actually... Oh, great. Who's that? 
Professor Butson. He's famous for budding. The question assumes phones are addicting, but it depends on how you define addiction. How did he even get in here? The door is still closed. No one knows. He just butts in whenever he feels like... You see, there is debate about whether or not we should call excessive phone use an addiction. The American Psychiatric Association claims an addiction is a brain disease manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequence. How do we get him to go away? I wish I knew. However, currently the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the benchmark for such things, has yet to classify excessive phone use as quote-unquote addiction. Wait, I have an idea. There are some behaviors seen in frequent phone users that lead one to think of phones as addictive. Hey, Zora, uh, Nairobi, did you hear Sandin and Mark are making a statue to their favorite vegetable? I didn't hear that. Yeah, it's a six-foot bronze statue of a tomato. Wait, do they say their favorite vegetable is the tomato? Sure, that's what it says on the statue. The world's greatest vegetable, the tomato. But, 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 but the tomato is a fruit. It has seeds. Don't they know this? Someone needs to tell them. This must be corrected. I'll be right back. Wow, it's gone just like that. Nice thinking, Molly. I'm just glad it worked. But he did raise a point. How do we know phones are addictive? Well, when researchers asked teenagers, about half said they felt addicted to their phones, and three out of every four checked their phone at least once an hour. Some checked even more. So what is your take, Zora Nairobi? Do you think phones can be addictive? I do think phones can be a little bit addictive. Yeah, it depends on what you like doing on your phone. So, Zora Nairobi, you tried going phone-free a while back. Why did you decide to do that? We decided to go phone-free because one day we were watching TV and the characters in the show, they decided to take a phone break. And Nairobi and I were like, we can do that. That doesn't, like, how are they this dependent on their phones where they're, like, locking up their phones and asking people, like, oh, make sure I don't touch my phone. Like, keep it over there. Yeah, I was making fun of those characters. I didn't realize that it would actually be that hard. So was it, how did it go? Was it Was it that hard? Were you asking people to lock up your phones? Um, it wasn't that extreme, but uh, I had to put it in a different room, for yeah. sure. I, I had to remove my phone from the scene just in case there was some temptation. And I wouldn't charge my phone. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just not going to charge it. That's a good way to avoid using your phone. Just let it not have any battery. Well, you two graciously accepted our challenge to go phoneless once again for five days. And we gave you some ground rules, too. No phones or tablets unless they're being used for school purposes or an emergency. And you even got a few friends to join in. And you documented your screenless days for us to hear, too. Zora, here's what you and some of your friends were thinking as it started. Okay. What do you think is going to be the hardest so part? I think I automatically just, like, put my hand in my pocket to grab my phone yeah. and to resist that since it's, it has become a habit. Yeah, it's going to be hard for me, too. Yeah, I have, a, I have this really bad habit of, like, watching my YouTube while, like, eating food. <laughs> I have to get rid of that. As soon as I get home, I, like, literally get on my phone. Yeah. Like, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, whenever I, like, feel uncomfortable, I reach in my pocket or, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And Nairobi, here's a little of what you said on the day before the experiment. What I like the least is the usage amount of phones. For instance, whenever I watch a video on YouTube... I know that I could be spending my time reading a book, but I choose not to. Why do you think it's better to read a book than to watch YouTube? When you read a book, you you are able to use your imagination. But like when you watch YouTube, the video is just right there. There's no like brain work going into it. 
And and Nairobi, what do you like the least about smartphones? Um, I, I don't like how addictive they are and how much like the human race relies on them for everything. It's kind of scary. And Zara, how about you? What do you like the least about smartphones? Um, I don't like how they pull away people's attention simply because, like Ruby said, we rely too much on them. There's so many tasks that like we can do on them now. It's like back in the day they could do tasks like other ways, but they've all put it into this one device, and, and that's what makes it super addictive. And so what do you like the most about smartphones? I like how available they are, and they're they're just always around, and I can use them to, like, check facts or check the weather so I'm not walking outside with shorts on when it's 30 degrees. <laughs> I can't complain about, like, the convenience of them at all. They're very convenient to use. Very true. They do have some very helpful things, so they're not all bad. Now, we should pause to say that not all kids or teens have smartphones. Yeah, a lot of families choose to keep their kids phone-free until a certain age. Some can't afford a phone, and some just don't want them. Whether or not to give a kid a phone and at what age is a question for individual families to decide. There is a level of responsibility and maturity required, and it's a little different for everybody. Smartphones, it's a family discussion. But parents get the final say. But even if you don't have a phone yourself, you've probably seen people in your life staring at their phones. Being connected through the world of a smartphone can be so tantalizing. Games, videos, texting. You can tell yourself just one more minute, but that minute could easily turn into an hour. Brains On producer Sandon Totten is here to tell us a little bit about why phones are so good at hijacking our time and attention. Hey guys, sorry I'm out of breath. I was running late because some guy was lecturing me about tomatoes being a fruit on the way over. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, phones. What makes them so hard to put down? Well, to explain, we have to talk about how our brains train us. Don't you mean how we train our brains? Actually, both. It turns out our brain has a complicated reward system that ends up training you as much as you train it, making you want to do certain things and not do other things. It's sort of like training a dog. But in this case, you are the dog and your brain is the trainer. Good dog. Here's a treat. Now, your brain wants you to be good at life. A worthy goal. Yeah. And it does this by rewarding you when you do stuff it thinks will help you stay alive and be successful. But instead of giving you dog biscuits, which would be weird if, like, dog biscuits fell out of our heads to reward us, instead of that, your brain uses a chemical called dopamine. It's sort of like the brain version of a Scooby snack. Sit, stay, shake. Good doggy, have some dopamine. (laughs) Dopamine makes us feel content. It's that surge of excitement when you bite into an awesome burrito, that little zing when you find out you got a great score on a test, or that aww you feel when you find a dollar in your pants pocket that you totally forgot about. A-plus on your math quiz? That's a good pup. Here's a dopamine snack. Every time we do something and we get dopamine, it makes us want to do that thing more and more. And one thing your brain loves giving you dopamine for is making and keeping friends. That makes sense. Friends have helped me out plenty of times. Yeah, I'd say they are important for survival. Exactly. Having friends and family can help keep us healthy, safe, and entertained, So our brains release this dopamine chemical when, say, we tell a good joke and our friends laugh. Good joke. Have some dopamine. (laughs) 
<laughs> or when we smile at someone and they smile back. They like you. Dopamine time. <laughs> or when we high five. Up top. Dopamine. <laughs> but here's the catch. Our brains developed at a time when staying alive and being successful was a lot harder. Back then, you were doing great if you could find enough food to eat and avoid being eaten. And friends, well, we lived in small groups. You probably wouldn't interact with more than a few dozen people. Tops. But in today's world, the same things our brains used to reward us for are a lot easier to get. And that's where phones come in. Dun, dun, dun. So our phones are full of stuff that gets our brain to reward us. You've got games that give you praise. You got the high score. Well, I guess that's important. Uh, here's some dopamine. <laughs> Your phone gives you pictures of delicious food and cute puppies. These things are good. I guess I should reward them. <laughs> and our phones are full of social interaction. Sort of like a friend buffet. That person in the video is smiling. Oh, someone just liked your photo. Someone commented, LOL. I guess you're doing great at this. So like I said before, when we get dopamine for doing something, it makes us want to keep doing that thing. But over time, your brain gets wise to this. Eventually, it starts giving you less and less dopamine for doing the same thing over and over. You got the high score. Well, you always get the high score. I don't know. Here's half a treat. Another person reacted LOL. Psh, everyone says that. Here's a quarter treat. This makes it so you have to do the thing more and more and more just to get that same satisfied feeling. With phones, you start by checking once in a while. But soon, that doesn't make you feel good enough. So you check more. And more. And you try to get more comments, more likes, more high scores. And pretty soon you're pulling out that phone every two minutes just to see if there's something in there your brain will reward you for. Like a dog begging for treats. Woof. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Which is a large part of how we end up obsessed with smartphones. Even though they don't really help us do much better in life. Oh, and by the way, dopamine is also involved in a similar way when people get addicted to drugs or gambling. So this is a very powerful force we're up against. Yikes. Yeah. But, you know, hanging with friends, IRL, getting some exercise, eating a wholesome meal with your family, those things also tend to give a dopamine boost. And they usually do help you succeed more at life. So maybe skip the screen next time you're bored and try doing some of those things instead. Thanks, Sandin. You did a good job. Here's a treat. Yes. All right. Are you ready for some completely screen-free fun? It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? I think it's a notification of some sort. Mm, excellent guess. Nairobi, do you have any thoughts? Um, a pager? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going old school. I like it. Stick around. We will hear the answer a little later in the show. We're working on a new Brains On series all about emotions. It's going to have all the feels. And we need your help. Send us a short recording answering this question. 
how does your body feel when you're happy? How about it, Zor? How do you feel inside when you're happy? When I'm happy, I kind of feel light and I don't know, I feel like humming and like dancing. I feel like super energetic. I just feel like super light, if that makes sense. That's an excellent answer. What about you, Nairobi? I feel awesome inside. It lifts my spirits and I laugh a lot. Awesome. Well, you can send your answer to how your body feels when you're happy by going to brainson.org slash contact. That's also the place to send us your mystery sounds, artwork, and questions. Just like this listener. Hi, my name is Julia, and I'm from New York, New York. My question is, why are bruises purple and blue, and how do we get them? Stick around to the end of the show to hear the answer to that moment of um question. Plus, we will hear the new members to join the Brains Honor Roll. Oh, and parents, you know how you love this show? How it's great to just put it on and hear well-researched facts, top-notch sound design, and real experts talking in everyday language? Sure. Yeah. We love it, too, and we put in a lot of hours to make it happen. Please support the show so we can keep making it. Go to brainson.org slash donate. There are lots of cool thank you gifts to pick from. And you'll make it easier for us to create more fascinating fact-filled shows. Thanks. And keep listening. This is Brains On. I'm Zora. I'm Nairobi. And I'm Molly. And I'm Professor Butson. Did you know research suggests that the more time spent on screens, the less happy a teenager is? Oh no, not this guy again. A study published in the journal Emotion looked at over one million U.S. teens. They found the less screen time, the happier the person. Uh, nobody likes interruptions. Wait, I have an idea. Please excuse my phone use here. There. Huh, I just got a text. I was invited to give a Todd talk. Obviously, I'll be amazing at it. I'm going to go work on my slides. Fast thinking, Zora. Man, every time there's an interruption, I lose track of where we were at. Okay. Oh, oh, right. I was going to ask about your phone-free experiment. So, Nairobi and Zora, we've heard a little about what you thought you might be in for while you tried to go for a week without using a smartphone. But what actually happened? How in those first couple days were you feeling mentally? I felt lonely because none of my friends texted me. Oh. How about you, Zora? I felt kind of left out. Like, I was like, oh, I wonder if my friends are, like, like saying something that, like, I'm just missing out on. Is that because, like, a lot of that stuff happens on phones? Uh, yes, especially, like, with texting, since you're, like, in immediate communication. Like, you don't have to wait to get back to school. So, like, they'll have an entire, like, conversation while you're not there. Yeah. That sounds really hard. Well, it's really uh, interesting to listen back to your diaries. And I don't know if you know this, but you both sound like you had a change around day three. Here, let's listen. This is Nairobi, and it's day three with no phones. Today, I am feeling relaxed because I was busy most of the day at the swimming and wouldn't have been able to use my phone in the first place. Instead, I spent most of the day reading a book that was assigned for school and actually read almost the entire thing. I feel like I have way more time without my phone as a distraction. When I did use it on a regular basis, I would hold it in my hand and move it around, touching it, checking it every few minutes for messages, and it was kind of stressful. Hi, this is Zora and... This is Rebecca. This is Jasper. And this is three, day three of our experiment, and we're going to give you um, what happened. Okay, so on day three, how were you guys feeling? I was very busy that day. Yeah. I kind of forgot about my phone since I was involved in other activities. By that time, I was kind of used to it because, like, I was just 
I found like yeah. other things to do with my time. Me Wednesday too. is like a busy day for me. Wednesday wasn't like that busy for me. So like I was on the bus for internship and I had nothing to do the entire bus ride. Because like, yeah. I had my phone and it was like tempting, but I was like, I can't use it. No. So instead I drew pictures. What did you do? I just, when I was in the bus, I just looked out of the window and I noticed like a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, Actually, I just, um, I started noticing more, like, without my phone, like, I was more observant. <laughs> so, did you start to feel a change in yourselves? Um, yeah, a bit. I got a lot more work done. I got a lot more rest. And I, I talked to my friends more. Really? So, even though you missed those text conversations, you were maybe talking more? Yes, since I wouldn't be able to talk to them when I got home. So, were there other things you started to do because you couldn't use a phone? I would say I started, I think I played a card game with my friends. I was like, instead of you playing your game on your phone, here go some cards. We're going to play a card game. I decided that I would practice my saxophone a little bit more and my music skills a little bit more. And that actually took up a whole bunch of time. Like, probably the time that I would have been on my phone, I spent doing that. Um, I also played my instrument more, but I usually use my phone as a tuner, so I think I was playing it out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason phones are so good at hooking us is that they're sort of random. When you check a phone, you never know what you're going to find. Like how sometimes you have 20 texts and other times you just have two. Or how some posts get tons of comments, but others get zero. Exactly. And studies show that random rewards make us more likely to keep doing a behavior. This research dates back to the 1930s and a guy named Burris Frederick Skinner. My BFFs call me BF because Burris Frederick is kind of a mouthful. B.F. Skinner did experiments with mice. He put them in little boxes with levers in them. If they accidentally bumped the lever, a treat would appear. It was magic to the little mice. But believe you me, as soon as they figured out they could push the lever and get a snack, it was like, bam, 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 give me those snacks. Now, Skinner did a lot of variations of the experiment. Some mice got a treat every time they hit the lever, and other mice got a treat more randomly. Those mice would hit the lever, say, three times and then get a treat. Then next time, maybe they'd have to hit it four times for a bite, or six, or just two. There was seemingly no order to it. It was impossible for them to predict. Skinner learned that mice who got predictable treats ended up acting pretty differently from mice who got random treats. For a mouse that got used to getting a treat every time it hit the lever, if the treat stopped coming, that mouse would quickly stop hitting the lever. But for the mice who got treats at unpredictable times, they'd keep hitting that lever long after the treats dried up. It was so fascinating. When rewards were seemingly random, it became very hard for the mice to stop hitting the lever. It's like they kept thinking, I know I didn't get a treat the last hundred times I hit this thing, but the 101st time's the charm, right? This is sometimes called a variable reward schedule. Because the timing of the rewards is variable, it changes. And this sort of pattern is really good at getting us to do something over and over. It's like a slot machine at a casino. Exactly. You never know when it's going to pay off. Or, or maybe fishing? Yeah, you can't predict when you'll get a bite. Our phones do this all the time. Since the rewards, like comments and messages, come at seemingly random times, it makes us want to keep checking more and more. Kind of like those mice who keep hitting the lever, even though they rarely get treats. Yes, despite all our wisdom and age, we are still just like rats in a cage.
Okay, let's get back to the mystery sound. I'm going to play it one more time. Are you ready, Zora Nairobi? Yes. Yeah. All right, here it is. Any new guesses? I still think it's like a notification. Some kind of notification? Nairobi, what do you think? Video game. Video game. All right. Here is the answer. Hi, my name is David Lydens. The sound you just heard was the low glucose alert sound. That sound goes off when my blood glucose is going too low. The sound comes right from my phone. So it is a notification. Excellent work, Zora. And so David has type 1 diabetes, and that means his body needs help keeping his blood sugar or blood glucose at the right level. He uses a sensor under his skin to track his blood sugar, and that sensor connects to an app on his phone. The app shows how his blood sugar is doing all the time. Because I have type 1 diabetes, I need to be responsible for monitoring my own glucose. For people without type 1 diabetes, the pancreas, an organ in your body, takes care of that work for them. But since I have to take over that job myself, this app gives me support to make that job easier. If I weren't getting the information from this app, I would need to put in a lot of work to manage my own glucose levels, using more equipment to manually check my glucose. With the app, though, I get different beeps to tell me if my glucose is going too high or low so that I can address it. Once I hear the low alert, it's a pretty easy fix. I just need to make sure I eat some glucose of some sort. A lot of times I'll solve that just by drinking a juice box or eating a few cookies. By having this app on my smartphone, I know that even if I'm not necessarily paying attention to how my energy level is feeling, it'll let me know if it's heading in a, a dangerous direction. So we've talked a lot about our phones pulling us in and being distracting. The tricky part about phones is that they do helpful things too. In David's case, his phone is actually a helpful tool for tracking his blood sugar. There are also the apps that help us get from place to place. And we can't forget that our phones help us find facts and keep families and friends connected over long distances. So the trick is using our phones in a healthy way. And we've asked science journalist Catherine Price to give us some tips. Her book, How to Break Up with Your Phone, offers lots of ways we can use our phone responsibly. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you guys so much for having me. We just finished doing an experiment for five days where we didn't use our phones for an entire week and we invited friends to join in with us and not use their phones for an entire week and see how that affected them. Like, it affected us from throughout the entire week and in, in which ways it was hard and which ways it like kind of benefited us. Very cool. I really I think that that's wonderful. And Yeah, what kind of questions do you have for me? What makes a good amount of screen time or a good screen time habit? People ask me what the ideal amount of screen time is per day, and what I tell them is that's a really personalized question. So there's no right answer to it. It's really about how you feel about the time that you're using and how it's impacting other things in your life, like your sleep or your relationships. In terms of healthy screen habits, I think you guys have already started to pick up on some of these, even though you were doing the extreme version of not using your phone at all. I always tell people, get your phone out of your bedroom, because if you have your phone in your bedroom, it will affect your sleep. And your sleep is so important. But a lot of people use their phones as alarm clocks. So one of the practical tips I give is that you should have an alarm clock that is not your phone in your bedroom, and that the whole family should have a charging station that is not in the bedroom. Um, and I also really recommend to tell the adults in your life how their phone habits make you feel because adults don't pick up on that. And if you say something like, I really wish you'd pay more attention to me, not your phone, they'll pretty much guarantee, they'll like cry. But I think it's a really important wake up call because they're so 
clueless about how what they're doing can affect their families. Uh, I also recommend make sure you turn off the notifications on your phone because like you really need to be very defensive around your phone because it is designed to addict you. And I don't even say that lightly. It is literally designed to addict you. And I think that's something people are only now starting to wake up to. How is it designed to like addict you? The bright colors on a phone, every single color on that phone has been chosen to be as attention grabbing as possible. The colors of like notifications are are interesting also because if you notice it's really like a blood red, same color as a stop sign. It's an alert signal. Very difficult not to pay attention to it. Um, sounds, things that happen in response to something you do. So if you send a message and then it has a little whoosh sound afterwards, that's great. And also another big one, which is very important to recognize if you're a social media user, is the likes and the hearts and things like that. It's someone telling you, oh yeah, you're valuable or like, I like you or, you know, I see you. That kind of thing is so powerful to humans because we're very social animals. And so when you see then the little number next to your likes and you feel good about it, that is dopamine. And that is specifically, deliberately incorporated into the app to make you want to check it again. Thank you so much. You're very insightful. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And you guys should be really proud of everything you just did during that week because you were like way, way advanced. (laughs) Thank you, Catherine, for your time. Goodbye. All right. Take care, guys. So Zora and Nairobi, now that you have gone through this experiment, are you going to change how you interact with your phones? Yes, I think I will let my phone charge in a different room and or put it in a different one, room whenever I do my homework. So I think I'm going to start doing things that I'm passionate about, like reading, separate from my phone. Like, I won't use my phone to do that. I'll use an actual book. Those are very good ideas. You know, oh, shoot, my phone. I thought I turned it off. Hold on. Okay, this phone is off. You have my full attention. Cool. Thanks for shutting it off. Nobody likes it when someone is constantly checking their phone during a conversation. There's actually a term for that. Again? Seriously? It's called fubbing. It's a portmanteau, which means it's a combination of two words. In this case, the word phone and snubbing. Fubbing. It's you actually know, been studied by You I really think we need to deal with this head on. Excuse me, Professor Butson. Yes? Thanks for all the information, but we're actually in the middle of a conversation, and it's very distracting when you show up. If you have something to share, why not try setting up a time to talk later? Or sending us a letter. Or maybe waiting for us to reach out to you with a question. Hmm. I apologize for that distraction. That sounds reasonable. I'll do that. Expect some letters. Many, many letters. Wow, that was great. Yeah, you handled that well. Thank you. You know, I value your time. You are both important to me, and I want to show you that by giving you my full attention. So I'm going to cut out anything that distracts me, whether that's a phone or a person. Yeah, conversations are the best when you're focused on your friends. I guess the professor is a nice reminder of that, even if he's super annoying. Yeah, distraction-free is the way to be. Checking our phones can give us a dopamine boost, but over time, it can take more and more comments and likes to get the same boost. We can end up feeling like we need to check constantly to be satisfied. And the unpredictability of things like messages, likes, and comments can make it harder for us to stop clicking. But there are things we can do to help us cut back on screen time. Like turning off notifications or charging your phone away from your bedroom. And remember... Smartphones, it's a family discussion. But parents get the final say. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. 
Our fab fellow is Manika Wilhelm, who produced and sound designed this episode. We had engineering help from John Miller and Corey Shuffle, and special help from Eric French and Derek Clements. Many thanks to Keisha Whitfield, Todd Masterson, James Kim, Austin Cross, Lori Galaretta, Jamila Joyner, Jonathan Shiflett, and Tegan Wall. Brains On is supported by you. So go to brainson.org slash donate to do your part. That way, the show will keep popping up in your feed every week. Now, before you go, it's time for our moment of... Um... That sound means we made a mistake. An earlier version of this moment of um said blood is blue when it doesn't have oxygen in it. But that's not true. Blood is always red. Red, red, red. So, there you go. We made a mistake, but we corrected it. Here, listen. Hi, my name is Julia, and I'm from New York, New York. My question is, why are bruises purple and blue, and how do we get them? That's a great question. Bruises are blue because blood is somewhere it's not supposed to be. Hi, my name is Bhavna Vadrevu, and I'm studying to be a doctor. So blood is red, and it's always red, but our veins have a certain amount of stuff over them, skin and other things. And when light passes through the skin and other things, it makes it look like our blood is blue. There are all these little tubes that are feeding blood to every part of your skin. So when you bump your knee or your elbow, you're breaking these tiny little tubes and the blood that's traveling in them gets out. And since your skin isn't broken, it has nowhere to go but right underneath your skin. And bruises will look different on different people's skin, but we all see a bluish or purplish color in the beginning. So actually you can tell how old a bruise is based off of what color it is, and it goes through kind of a sunset of colors. It can be red, purple, blue, brown, greenish brown, green, yellow, and finally, after it's yellow, you're towards the end, and it's going to go back to being your normal skin color. And all of these colors come from the different phases of your blood being broken down by your body because your blood isn't where it's supposed to be anymore, so your body needs to get it out of there. And it breaks it down into smaller pieces so that it can be cleaned up, and that's where the colors come from. Um, um, um. These names have left a mark on my heart. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the brilliant kids who help us keep this show going by sharing their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. Fiona from Corning, New York. Ahana from Fremont, California. Theo from Kenilworth, Illinois. Ethan and Noah from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Camden from League City, Texas. Danny from Kirtland, Ohio. Liam from Silver Spring, Maryland. Nikolai from San Jose, California. Hannah from Ozark, Missouri. Evan and Adam from Atlanta. Joshua and Ruth from Plano, Texas. Rachel from Cleveland. Will from South St. Paul, Minnesota. Sunny, Kateri, and Tripp from Jacksonville, Florida. Evie from Melbourne, Australia. Cormac from Englewood, Colorado. Owen and Eli from Fremont, Michigan. Lila from Florida. Elvin from London, England. Eva from Richmond, Virginia, Josephine from Chicago, Olive from Culver City, California, Tegan from Henderson, Nevada, Oscar from Bergen, Norway, Verena and Amelia from Stillwater, Oklahoma, Dorian from Bonita Springs, Florida, Ved from Bangalore, India, Kian and Shifra from Sydney, Australia, Tilly and Lockie from Brisbane, Australia, Rachel from Charlestown, Massachusetts, Weston from Berkeley, California, Lulu from LA, Emma from Reading, Connecticut, Cooper from Philadelphia, 
Philadelphia, Oliver from Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, Zeke from Fairfax, California, Max and Gemma from Santa Monica, California, Highland from Plano, Texas, Jeremiah and Eliana from Goshen, Indiana, Vigo from Prague, Frank and Moira from Tennessee, Charles from Brooklyn, New York, Julia from New York, New York, Isla from Freedom, Indiana, Sadie from Glasgow, Scotland, Aiden from Melrose, Massachusetts, Stella from Raglan, New Zealand, Clementine from Portland, Oregon, Marina from Oceanside, California, Samuel from San Antonio, Texas, Oliver from New Hampshire, Brooklyn from St. Joe, Missouri, Paul, Jane, and Cora from Matuka, New Zealand, Isla and Heath from Seattle, and Seamus from Harvest, Alabama. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening!